and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and that was a, a more kind of low-key hello than what we're used to from you, Dan. I know this is uh, the second record of the day, but let's let's get some more energy into it, shall we? I'm only kidding. It was a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Sam Ashurst, uh, writer, director, and an intro critic... Uh, it, it turns out, yeah, let's just move on to Juwon, my pick for this episode. And I have no idea how Dan feels about Juwon. This is one that we've never watched together and I think we've never talked about. So I'm really looking forward to finding out what you think of this movie, Dan. But I picked it because it's absolutely terrifying. I find it so, so fucking scary. How do you feel? I know it's very hard to scare you. And once again, I'm sorry for the joke about your intro. I think that may have gone (laughs) gone wrong. I didn't mean to insult you. You were just so, like, chill and casual, like, all right, yeah, Arrow Video Podcast, whatever. I'm a very very chill boy. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that by the time I watched Juon, I made the mistake that I think... Uh, a lot of film snobs, particularly young film snobs, made when Juon came out, which was to to make the mistake of feeling that it it was derivative, right, of Nakata's Ring. I didn't find it particularly scary. I think I'd I'd hoovered up so much J horror right. by the time that came out because I hadn't really seen much before Ring, and once I had. Uh, a bootleg VHS of Ring pushed into my hand in a a small room in Camden and had come back to home, which was Winchester at the time, and watched it on a 14-inch CRT TV and shat myself right up (laughs) watching that. And then, you know, as we discussed last episode, this was pre-being able to go to a boutique Blu-ray place. This was, you know, almost pre-DVD. wasn't, not quite, but you know, early doors DVD, pretty much. This was quite, quite the find. And so then became the campaign of trying to find the other Japanese horror films. And I I think that I, I absorbed a lot. I saw a lot of great things. Mm. And I really liked what Japan was doing. I didn't realise, and a lot of this was contextualised both by things I've learned since, some of which, uh, you know, from the extras on this disc, quite how sort of like interconnected this and, and Ring were. And I and it's not that this is necessarily aping Ring and more that they were drawing from the same well. But yeah, but as a result, it, it, it didn't really vibe with me. Mm-hmm. Revisiting it now, and I hadn't, I, I don't know if I've seen it since, mm. If I have, maybe only one. It still didn't necessarily scare me, but I massively appreciated it on a level that I hadn't before. Like, I re- I did very much enjoy it. Oh, that's great. Um, I think it's, as, as a piece of filmmaking, it's, it's really very, very solid. And I think there's some really interesting stuff, particularly in the way that it shies away from the traditional, like, linear Hollywood narrative structure that I find very satisfying within it. So even though it doesn't necessarily scare me, I really love it. I think it's a great film. Yeah, I'm so relieved because, yeah, I really wasn't sure how you'd feel about this one. And I did think that maybe it was one that you didn't like because you don't ever talk about it. But that kind of unique structure creates an atmosphere that takes it closer to liminal horror for me. Yeah. And yeah, that is a subgenre that I really love. 
But it, it also works as like a, a haunted house picture. I know it didn't scare you, but there's stuff in here that I just find absolutely terrifying. It's the way that the, the ghosts, and ghost stuff gets me anyway, but it's all presented as just there. It, it's not really jump scary or anything. It's like you turn a corner and, and there's one of these ghosts and, or, you know, they rise up from behind something or they're somewhere they shouldn't be. And that's the thing that I think scares me the most <laughs> about these kinds of movies. And I kind of really, rather than going into the film itself, I do actually want to take a slightly deep dive into one of the commentaries because there's an element to this release that people may have missed. And, and that's the fact that it's got a commentary from Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel. And Sam Raimi obviously brought this movie to America and uh, he was involved in the remake by the same director. And the commentary is literally one of the best I've ever heard. Scott Spiegel <laughs> is basically there to prop up Raimi to a certain extent. He makes some interesting observations, but the gold really does come from Raimi. And when Sam Raimi tells you that a film schooled him in horror, you know that you're watching something special. And he basically goes through the film very, very closely talking about style and camera choices, acting choices. And this isn't one of those commentaries, like most commentaries actually, it's very rare that you hear uh, criticism on commentaries, but he also highlights the stuff that doesn't work for him and what he would have done differently. Um, so for me, this is really next level. It's a commentary that I will be returning to again, especially if I do decide to make another film. Um, this is the cliche of a film school in a commentary. And for me, it, it's worth the purchase of the, the entire box set. Um, it really is that special for me. Dan, did you have a chance to listen to this commentary? And what did you think of it if you did? I didn't. I listened to the other commentary. <laughs> well, that's great because we can which, talk about that as well. Because I didn't listen to that one, so um, which I will say is one of the best commentaries I've ever listened to. Oh no, to. shit! Oh my god! Tell me yeah. about that one. Genuinely, genuinely amazing. It's it's such a fantastic piece. Like I, when I was listening to it, I, I did think I don't know if Sam will like this <laughs> because you're not a big fan of commentaries where they're not explicitly talking about what's going on on screen. But what the uh, what the other commentary is is it's it's broken up the history of J horror into a chaptered delinear structure that matches the structure of Juon. Oh my god, that's and genius. then it marries the it marries the history of not just J-Horror, but how Juon came into being Whoa. and its direct relationship to this very particular mindset and group of filmmakers that included oh, wow. uh, Hideo Nakata um, and, and talks about the origin of this like sort of super successful, like sort of midpoint of J-Horror. Like you've got to think of, right. of Ring as being not the origin of this because there, there was a booming success in in like sort of straight to video uh horror pictures in japan like shot on shot on tape and it was only when ring which was a sort of a, a remake of his own thing happened that it blew the doors off and they were like right let's start actually putting money into it and it was the same producer who saw that value in in nakata's short and, and got ring made that that got juan developed as well right. and and both of the directors had started out working on the same uh, Japanese like ghost story TV series like sort of portmanteau TV series as well the haunted school 
series. So like which, which I I had also like seen a chunk a chunk of. So like yeah, the 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 interconnectivity, the connective tissue of them. I I I do genuinely think that that commentary allowed me to to take an appreciation in this film that I had previously missed. Yeah, no, it sounds like um, it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really really good commentary. Fantastic. And yeah, I feel the same way about the Raimi one. Like uh, I feel like it's very very special. So Right, I will listen to yours. I'm sure you'll listen to mine at some point. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah what a joy, what a treat. And were there any other extras that stood out to you? Because there's, there's quite a bit on this disc. Yeah, I like it. It's it's just a, I, I didn't manage to go all the way through it. I did, uh, I did start on the commentary. Uh, I didn't quite get all the way through. But I did start on the Jasper Short commentary for the second uh, right. one as well. So I was yep. sort of dipping across the whole set. Nice. Uh, with the extras so I wanted to get a feel for the for the whole thing yeah and it's an amazing set like it's really exhaustive it's really well put together and obviously it makes sense having having Jasper on there not just for his knowledge but also you know with the the picture he has coming out which I'm sure we'll talk about later yeah it's it's a it's a really fantastic set uh, and it it gave me pause to sort of reconsider what had worked about j-horror for me and i had i i had a little bit of an epiphany because like it had been such a big deal to me Mm. when it happened yeah and then it kind of disappeared like it just went as fast as it came and it's it's interesting because like you know you think about japan had had been in this financial slump there'd been like a lot of straight to video stuff they've been shooting on digital and on and on tape rather than on film for a long time and then these pictures came out that were kind of like reserved bigger films and they suddenly felt and this is projection rather than opinion on my part. Um, it was almost like the the rest of the world felt like they were worthy of the world stage, and so suddenly they got attention internationally. And these films, you know, they're getting remakes and they're getting seen again, like all that remake stuff. It, it all seems to come from from the same place, from the same like brain space that was that was pushing all this stuff there's some very savvy marketing going mm-hmm. on in all this mm-hmm. but i'd not really thought about what it was that i liked about j-horror and and why that lightning couldn't be sort of like re-bottled mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. like what hasn't what hasn't worked and and aside from the the shift in the the way in which japanese film has has been made and and the, the approach to filmmaking in Japan has shifted in the years since the you know in the last sort of like 20 odd years since these films were coming out um i realized that the reason jhor has always been such a favorite of mine is that it exists in this culture where the presence of ghosts and the supernatural are considered inevitable mm-hmm. like they're mm-hmm. you know they're commonplace their be- their belief in them is commonplace within the population and like european and american and by that i mean christian horror narratives often find themselves dealing with this whole like is it real subplot that they've got to kind of get out the way right um, which i always find so frustrating it's one of my most hated well exactly subplots. exactly well because the problem with that is that when the when the characters are asking is it real that innately forces the audience and by the audience i mean me to consider the same question yeah. and i'm a non-religious person with deeply non-spiritual beliefs about life and death and i find that such a spotlight on the plausibility of the supernatural is its undoing yeah. japanese horror doesn't ask that question it just exists in a world where all the characters already believe and they take for granted the existence of the supernatural and like 
when I watch a sci-fi, they don't go, oh, is interstellar flight possible? It's no, no. Here's the fucking yeah. While it's world. happening, Get, you know, live with it. Just yeah, exactly. Just this is this is it. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, 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 for like, me, also, it's incredibly boring. It feels like plate spinning by the the screenwriter yeah. because we know it's real. Like we don't want to sit and listen to these conversations where someone's not being believed, which I find very frustrating as well. Yeah, no, it really is my most hated. And so, yeah, no, I absolutely take your point. I think the other kind of key aspect of J-horror that maybe is slightly more difficult to do today is that relationship between the past, the present and the future and how technology feeds into that. A lot of these kind of great J-horror films were made when the internet was still kind of in its infancy. It was that, and then it was also the ability to film and photograph digitally. And it was really at the sort of the the turning point of the digital revolution yeah. that gave birth to all of this, the new aesthetic. Yes. And even, even though, you know, Juon and, and Ring and, you know, all these great, and Kaido and all these amazing Joe horror pictures, they're shot on film. Their predecessors, the origins of, of what we consider to be modern Joe horror were all shot on video. Yeah. And again, that was about embracing this new aesthetic and that was acceptable to the Japanese audience. I think in a way that American audiences and, and to a lesser extent, English audiences aren't necessarily satisfied with that stuff outside of, you know, your, your, your art house space. But it, but there was an immediacy to it. There was a familiarity to it that made it acceptable mm-hmm. yeah. in, in Japanese culture. Whereas in America, it just is disregarded as feeling cheap. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. No, I completely agree. And that kind of really feeds into one of my recommendations, actually. And maybe we should move on to recommendations soon because, again, this is potentially a lesser seen one. I don't know. I know a lot of our listeners would have seen ring but is joan as as mainstream as ring i don't know if it is um certainly the sequels down the line i think the majority of people who have at least seen the first one probably wouldn't won't have made it to the end of the set so lots to discover on this set every disc has great extras it's all uh 4k and looks glorious even though you know there's potential to mess with that aesthetic it doesn't at all it looks fucking great so, yeah, should we move on to recommendations or, or do you have more to say about Juon? No, I, I feel like I've, yeah, we've, we've touched on the extras. We've, we've talked about like J-horror in yeah. general and, and why it's so, so dear. I, like, yeah, I, I think we can, we can talk about recommendations all right. safely. All right, well, I'm going to start and it's not because I'm worried that you're going to have recommended this because this is a fucking weird one, but it's because it relates so directly to what you're just talking about because... For me, the American movie that comes closest to J-horror is one that you might not expect, but it's actually Inland Empire by David Mm. Lynch. Yeah, the fact that he shot it on digital, on kind of very kind of low-grade cameras, and the atmosphere of it, the unusual structure of it, and the horror of it. I mean, there's some genuinely really scary moments in Inland Empire. It, it, It does feel like a horror movie. Um, in a similar way to something like, I don't know, Lost Highway. or All of his films have some element of true horror to them, but, but this one feels most like J-horror, as I say. Again, one of his more underseen movies, potentially because it's three hours long and 
<laughs> impenetrable for a lot of people. But as part of the, uh, an unofficial trilogy of Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire, um, it's one that not only encapsulates elements of those two films and, and takes them in different directions while still staying true to the theme. I really feel like Inland Empire, as David Lynch's final film at the time of recording this, says a lot about his career as a whole, if you're willing to read between the lines of this picture. So yeah, atmospherically, really feels like lots of different J-horror movies, but I've decided to pair it with uh, Ju-On almost randomly because there's not too much to connect them, but it's just a feeling I get from both of these films that makes them connected in my mind. So yeah, Inland Empire by David Lynch. I'm pairing it with Ju-On. And uh, yeah, Dan, what's first from you? <laughs> well, I like, I feel like this is one that there's a good chance we'll both recommend. Cool. And it's it feels very timely for this box set, uh, almost to the extent that when it was announced, the box set, I thought maybe this was going to be packaged within it. Uh-huh. But it's a, a recent documentary by Jasper Sharp and Sarah Appleton uh, called The J-Horror Virus, which played at Fright Fest this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is another fantastic deep dive into j-horror its origins like how it all came to be and again just gives that extra cultural insight into into sort of where it all happened like what's interesting is that it's entirely like there's a lot of unique information across the po- the audio commentary i mentioned jasper's audio commentary on Ju on two and then this documentary as well like which has a lot of talking heads and a lot of like going to the filmmakers and the people who were there not just on juon and and uh Kiyoshi Kurosawa's in there and you know like Nakta like talking about all that stuff but also the the stuff that spawned it and like where it came from and how they got into it and their relationships with it and all that kind of stuff and the history of Japanese horror and again uh, opinions on cultural relevancy and and cultural origins for all this stuff so again it just serves as a fantastic contextualization for all this stuff as a cultural event it's a yeah it's a really good accessible film there's a i feel there's been a huge slew of uh, film documentaries of late i'm a little weary of even the very well-made ones that are just about like how a particular film got made yeah, it yeah. seems that every every sort of cult film particularly like sort of pg-13 80s yep, films yep, are yep. getting there's a lot of documentaries about them like they're all very well three made. hour long deep yeah. dives into ghostbusters or robocop or yeah. whatever yeah yeah exactly and and like there's great stuff in there but i just don't have the time for all that <laughs> I watched this one because it is a subject matter that matters to me that I you know that I care about but also because it was relevant to what we were were talking about and I I really really enjoyed it I thought it was a very very good accessible film and and filled in a lot of gaps I in in my knowledge about the the subgenre so oh, yeah, I really excellent. enjoyed it yeah I haven't caught this one yet but it does sound very much up my street so and Arrow here's a free idea for you why don't you gather up all of these 80s documentaries into one box set and and release that because i actually (laughs) would like to to watch a lot of these things i i'm really interested in the robocop one and so yeah i'd love it if someone could gather them all into one place like the best ones because also there's a lot of competition like a lot of documentaries are made about these specific movies so give me the best ones in a box set please um, but before you do that, Arrow, you can listen to my next recommendation based on Juon. And it's another weird one. We didn't double up because there's very little chance of you choosing this. This is another weird brain thing from me. But Whistle and I'll Come to You 
um, the original whistle and I'll come to you, the, the BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas. Um, they did a remake more recently, I think starring John Hurt, but I'm talking about the original black and white version. Yeah, lovely. And um, I wanted to come up with another ghost thing that gives me a similar feeling to Juon, where it has that liminal feeling where... And it's not all about jump scares. It's about creating this oppressive atmosphere and builds up to one of the most terrifying and final images ever. Some people will look at, at the imagery of this film and, and just it will not work for them. And I, I think if you're on your phone and, and not giving it your full attention, there's a chance that it might not have the impact um, that, it, that it had on me when I watched it for the first time. But in terms of that oppressive feeling of like, even during the downtime in Juon, you feel like something's around the corner or, or something's present in the room. And that's how this feels for me, Whistle, and I'll come to you. So slightly unusual recommendation again, but the connection is, if I have to come up with a direct one, Juon and Whistle, and I'll come to you, do some really scary stuff with bed sheets. And I'll leave it at that. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's next from you, Dan? So next from me is a three-page comic book. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've, I feel like we've gone on long enough now that we can just fucking make up the rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I've got to hear this. <laughs> so this is a, uh, a three-page comic by Japanese horror, celebrated Japanese horror author Jinji Ito. Ah, yeah, okay, cool. And when I first came across it, I thought it was interesting as a, as a little aside from his usual content. It didn't necessarily feel very much like his, his usual stuff, although it, it still has very obvious horror elements. But I didn't fully understand what it meant from a cultural standpoint. And it was listening to, I think, possibly the Jasper Sharp commentary on the on Juon 2 that made something click in my head. And I was like, ah, fuck. I've, that's completely recontextualized that thing. And I dug it out and I found it again. So it's called The Sad Tale of the Principal Post. And it's ostensibly, and it's very hard not to spoil a three-page comic, So, but I'll tread lightly. A family are having dinner in their new house and everyone's being like, oh, what a lovely house you've got. How lucky you are to be in such a big house. It's so nice. And then they hear like screaming from somewhere and they all gather together and they go down into the basement and they realise that the father has somehow got himself stuck underneath a support beam for the house and it is killing him wow and no explanation is given as to how he is there in fact it is sort of like deliberately frivolous like it makes a point of how silly it is that, that he is trapped under this he's like i don't know how it happened and there's no time to explain <laughs> he basically says look i'm just gonna I don't I think if you move me the house will collapse so I'm just going to have to stay here and die. And that's the whole that's the whole comic. Wow. And I didn't get it until on the commentary they talk about this phrase uh daiko kuba shiara uh which is like a one a one word thing which means the principal post and is originally a term to refer to the central support column of a fancy building like the keystone of a Japanese building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm but became terminology for the breadwinner of the family, the father, mm. who would be considered the financial Daiko Kubashiara. 
Sheila. Right. I, the central support of the family, the breadwinner of the family. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that, and one of the things that is at the is is there at the turning point of J horror, which is often very female focused, is about the change in gender politics in Japan. This huge soaring suicide rate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Japan among the the businessmen, men who are working themselves to death because they feel like they owe it to their family to do all this stuff, to 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 go in and and be the the salary man, and it was it was either ke- like ruining their health, killing them that way, or anxiety and stress and and like the worry of letting down their family were pushing them towards suicide hangovers from the the you know these culturally ingrained ideas of of honorific self-sacrifice um and and there's a lot of that present in j-horror and in the successful j-horror films particularly there are these re-examinings of the Obviously, they don't use the term nuclear family, but of the traditional family dynamic in Japan, the role of the mother. There's a lot of single mothers uh, present in J horror, and there's a lot of absentee fathers or, or fathers who have have betrayed their families. That's core to Juon, particularly. Mm. You know, this these ghosts are are very much about a, a destroyed a family that's been destroyed by an act of deceit, mm-hmm. and I hadn't realized how like heavy handed. The metaphor was in this little Junji Ito comic, and how how much it played into this sort of like foundation, this groundwork for J horror and what J horror, what was happening in Japan that gave birth to J horror. So yeah, if you, if if our audience haven't dipped into J horror stuff, one of the contenders for big overseas remake successes for J horror was the Tomi series to right series yeah. of films which were based on Junji Ito comics and and never quite got the recognition that these other these other films did but if you if you hanker for that kind of thing I, I can't recommend going out and dipping into his his comics enough and, and the Tomi comics are a fantastic place to to start they're predicated around the idea of a of a female ghost who every time she's she's killed any pieces of her will grow into a new version of her. Yeah. And so she essentially taunts young men into going mad and killing her because that is the way in which she reproduces. Because, you know, every time a limb is cut off, it turns into a new tomi. Every time she's cut into five pieces, five more tomies will grow from them. And so she's deliberately, like, taunting these young men. And so, again, like, all of this plays into these, like, considerations about what's happening with with gender roles and suppression and all of these cultural elements within Japan at the time that I think make the films interesting again on another level. Aside from all of the stuff I loved about them at the time, it's really interesting to revisit them with all that in mind. Wow, you you really got a lot there out of a three-page comic, Dan. I'm very impressed. And um, Thank you very much. Yeah, just to to (laughs) underline that recommendation... um, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of John G. Ito books out there. Um, he is one of those authors from Japan who um, is translated very regularly. There's at least one book a year, sometimes two. 
Um, they're mostly short stories, but as Dan says, there's occasional one that stretches a, a, across into a full-blown narrative. My favourite is probably one of the darkest and, and, and one of the more unique, no longer human, which is uh, a very, very powerful piece of work, but not necessarily as supernatural as everything else. But um, yeah, there's plenty of short stories out there, uh, short story collections. So that is also a recommendation from me as well. Um, all right, let's move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to start with a quick one, I think. There's not a great deal to dive into here, but I'll give some personal context to it. I had a birthday recently and trying to choose what film to take the whole family to proved to be a slight challenge for me because we've got an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old here. So finding stuff that works for everyone can be challenging. But our oldest, my stepson, Jamie, he is obsessed with talking heads, absolutely loves talking heads. And, oh, lovely. And, you know, what the oldest goes with can sometimes, you know, trickle down to the young ones. So I decided that we'd all go and see the Talking Heads uh, concert film, Stop Making Sense, which has been re-released by A24 recently. And with the Talking Heads, like, I'm a fan of their stuff, like the songs of theirs that I absolutely love. But they're mostly the singles. I've never actually taken the time to deep dive into the albums or anything like that. And David Byrne, he is a, a presence for me. It, it, like the once in a lifetime music video. I know him from that. But, you know, not too much else. And so this film that I expected to go to see that I would enjoy, um, but I was mainly kind of putting other people first, ended up being one of my favourite cinematic experiences ever watching this on the big screen and seeing David Byrne's pure charisma and all the variety in movements. Like he never repeats a move across the whole of this film and he's communicating so much through his dance move and every little kind of body movement he does. And just the way it kind of builds as well. It's directed by Jonathan Demme and you can see that this has been made with a filmmaker's eye because there's a narrative structure <laughs> to the first half of this film where it kind of builds and builds and builds. And yeah, wonderful, diverse band, everyone so talented. And yeah, it was just a, a pure pleasure to watch. So even if you're not a Talking Heads maniac, I would recommend Stop Making Sense, especially if you can still see it on the big screen in some form. Is this one that you've seen, Dan? No, no, I've seen the trailer and I've been attracted to the idea of it, but I've not, not seen the movie itself. Yeah, it's really, really special. It's, it's so much better than... I thought it would be good, but I wasn't expecting to be so pulled into the world of the movie. Um, or, you know. How did it go down with your young fan? Uh, yeah, oh, Jamie was absolutely overwhelmed and, like, I was sitting next to him. I had Shay one side, I had Jamie the other side, and... Yeah, there were moments where he was pointing at the screen and just bouncing up and down in his seat. Yeah, it was a real, real pleasure to watch it with Jamie. So that added another element of enjoyment to it. So yeah, wonderful movie. I really, really recommend it if you can see it on the big screen or on the small screen. I'm sure that'll be good too. But yeah, what's first from you this week, Dan? It's going to take a little minute for me to get out of the J-horror rut because I, <laughs> I revisited a lot of stuff while doing this. Oh, excellent. As I said, I really did 
very much enjoy this uh, this era of uh, of filmmaking. It didn't necessarily feel like one I could recommend based on Juon, just because it it doesn't feel like it has as much of a connection. Although it is connected to the comic I recommended, in that it's based on a comic by uh, Junji Ito. It's the 2000 Japanese live action movie of Uzumaki, also known as Spiral. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. Which is just a wonderful movie if you've seen the movie and haven't read the comic book check out the comic because they made the movie after the comic was only two-thirds written so they've got different endings if you've read the comic but haven't read haven't seen the movie it's it's different it might frustrate you but i don't think so it's really beautiful it's really like it's a really nice uh, interpretation of it it's got some fantastic shared imagery and it does its own thing really really well to give the audience uh, our audience uh, a sort of pricey into it. it like so many of these things it takes a very basic concept that that could easily be slightly absurdist and manages to turn it into something quite uncomfortable, although it is less unnerving than some of the others and, and does occasionally play into the silliness a little bit more. Um, the sort of the absurdism and comedy that, that Japan likes in its films from time to time. It's, uh, it's about a, a town that is literally cursed, haunted, taken over by spirals. The concept of spirals and it is absolutely full to the brim with this imagery of these these vortices slowly turning everyone mad you have a, a through narrative of a, of a young couple sort of finding their way through the weird stuff that's happening to their town it is slightly episodic in its nature just because it was uh, adapted from a, an episodic comic book directed by a japanese ukrainian director called uh, higuchinsky it's not really like any of the other J-horror films, and I would say for me it's the most successful of the of the films based on Junji Ito's stuff. I keep on like dipping back in and, and watching more things, and they range from wildly disappointing to pretty good. But I would say that the live action adaptation of uh, of Uzumaki is is head and shoulders the best. I think, absolutely love it. Fantastic. Yeah, I actually haven't caught this one myself. So uh, on that recommendation, I will. Um, I really, really enjoy Junji Ito's comic book stuff, but I've never seen any of the movies. So yeah, that's uh, that's an area that I can explore. And for my next recommendation, it's another kind of birthday themed one. And this is one actually I'd like to talk to you a bit, Dan. Normally for these recommendations, we just do a bit of a monologue. But this is one that so reminds me of you. I'd like to talk to you about it, but let me set it up first because Shay and I, uh, when we were kind of first getting to know each other, one of the things that really wowed me about Shay was that um, she was a fan of the British TV series sitcom Bottom, (laughs) which is uh, one of my favourite shows of all time and obviously hasn't made a giant leap into the States. And the film I'm going to be talking about wasn't even released here until very recently. But, but yeah, <laughs> Shay, Shay loves Bottom. I love Bottom. We, we watched it together, watched it again together because we'd both seen it many times before. So it was a real joy to watch it with her. But when Vinegar Syndrome recently uh, announced that they were going to be uh, putting out Guesthouse Paradiso on Blu-ray, I got extremely excited about it. I was showing the page to Shay, you know, the the cover, um, which is kind of very vague, doesn't reveal what it is. And Shay, you know, seemed supportive of my excitement, but not particularly excited herself. And uh, she actually ended up buying it for my birthday. And when she gave it to me, she's like, yeah, I have absolutely no idea what this film is, but you seem so excited about it. I had to get it for you. 
And I was like, oh my God, do you mean you don't know who's in this film? And she said, well, no, I know nothing about it. I'm like, right, we're putting this on tonight and I'm going to get off the menu. You're not allowed to look when the menu pops up just in case it spoilers it. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, hit play and this comic masterpiece <laughs> played out. And obviously Shay was incredibly excited. Um, that excitement did, you know, very quickly transform into what the fuck is this film? <laughs> because it is and it isn't bottom. Like they tried to distance themselves from it from bottom when they made Guest House parody. So even though they use the same uh, first names of the characters, they have different second names and they wear the same costumes, but they have very different kind of roles and, and jobs. Uh, and so it is kind of bizarre that they did try to say this wasn't a bottom movie until it bombed at the box office and it got released on home video in the UK and they added a subtitle that said the bottom movie. Um, so yeah, this is all a kind of complicated web of, of, of nonsense. But um, basically, Dan, I wanted to tell you that I watched Guest House parody, so again recently, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this film and on Bottom as a whole, because I know you're a fan too. Yeah, I loved I loved Bottom. I grew up with Rick Mayle. Yeah. He was a hugely important figure in my childhood. When I was a young lad going out and discovering getting dangerously drunk in my teens, uh, I would still go home to watch Bottom. Yes. <laughs> Whenever it was on. Like, I'd just leave the pub <laughs> and go to watch Bottom. Yes. And then often go, just go back out again. And I remember the night that the season finale played and they get killed. And I just wept and didn't yeah. go back to the pub. Yeah. It was so, like, galling. Um, and, yeah, and actually, I, I think I, that is the reason that they didn't want to call this a Bottom movie, um, even though they're essentially playing the same characters, because they wanted that ending to to stick to not be undone yeah. by making the movie so yeah not the greatest fix in the world but um i, I think that no. was the intention and not and and guess us producer is not the greatest film in the world i think the first half is a masterpiece yeah and then it kind of slides downhill from there i think really from the moment when simon Pegg is lifted up by his nipple piercings it, it starts to take a nosedive and all the vom all the vom gags in the third act just kind of leave me a bit cold to be completely honest but the reverse gag hooks up the nose yes in the yeah. in the first act yeah. the candle in the eye routine yeah. in the second act like these are perennial classics and live in my brain absolutely <laughs> Both of them yeah no permanently i completely agree with that summation like when Vincent Cassell shows up as well, you know, it does take a bit of a dive. But this is an insane cast. Like, Bill Nighy's in it. In fact, there's several people from Shaun of the Dead in this film. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, long before Shaun of the Dead. So, yeah, lots of reasons to recommend it. It's not perfect. And I tried to imagine what it would be like watching this film if you'd never seen Bottom. And that was quite an experience because it really is so, so bizarre even coming from that uh, knowledge base, it, it's so fucking weird. But, and I think, you know, there's a kind of slight sadness to it in the Rick Mail saw it as a 25th anniversary movie because they made it 25 years after him and Aid met. Um, but it was following his quad bike accident, Rick Mail. And so 
he was on pretty hardcore epilepsy medication that stopped him from having daily seizures, basically. Yeah. Um, and Aid, I think, rewrote the script when Rick was in hospital, I believe, and he ended up being tasked with directing it. And so there's all of these complicated behind-the-scenes elements that actually make it kind of a miracle that it exists at all, that give it a real air of nostalgia for me. Just the fact that it exists like I say, is special to me. So definitely not perfect. But the fact that Vinegar Syndrome picked up this movie, gave it its first release, I think ever in the States. I don't think this ever came out on DVD or tape here. So the fact that it is on glorious Blu-ray with several extras and, you know, there's a a really great interview with Simon Pegg on here and, and, and all sorts. So... Yeah, the fact that the film exists and this Blu-ray exists is is a real joy to me. So a tacit recommendation. It is gross and violent and probably not very good if you're not me. But, you know, I can't help but love it. So, yeah, Guesthouse Paradiso. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? Have you, have you watched, have you, have you shown Shay the new Statesman yet? I haven't actually, but that is available here, so oh, we'll have to do that. Yeah, next. there you go. Yeah. That's that's a that's a treat. Yeah. That one, amazing. I've got a not not a treat for my uh, for my next oh. film. It's a return to form for me. Oh, good. After the uh, after all the J horror and the uh, the silliness of my recommendations last episode, um, I thought I'd get back into some some good old fashioned. Dan Misery. Yay! And so I revisited from 1998 a, a lovely little film by Todd Salons <laughs> called Happiness. Oh my God, I knew you were going to say that. Jesus Christ, Daniel. Yeah. Which I've uh, which I've, I've not seen for a few years yeah. at this point. It's still quite hard to get hold of. I'm desperately hoping that the recent Welcome to the Dollhouse Blu-ray means that we're about to see the floodgates open on the Salonsian canon. Uh, but I couldn't I couldn't wait. I had to go back to happiness. I remember watching that, uh, watching it when it first came out, 98, maybe 99, had it on an import DVD, which I think I still have, the uh, you know, the old American clams, like the, the cardboard ones, mm-hmm. the keeper cases. I didn't know anything about it. It was my first Salons watch. Oh my goodness, what a, what a movie. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a gentle little drama for, for people who haven't seen it and, and are thinking of giving it a go. Uh, ensemble piece, character study with an amazing cast. Like, lots of people you'll recommend between, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman and John Lovitz and uh, Dylan Baker. Yeah. Like, and, and then a lot of, like, character actors that you'll rec- recognise as well. Like, the, the heavyweight character actors from American cinema who maybe you don't know their names, but you know who they are yeah. and you know they're good. The That Guys. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Oh That Guys. But also a lot of, like, oh, Fuck me! What is what what? <laughs> yes. In this film, it, it was the it was the film that gave birth to uh, what what I now refer to as the Salonsian moment, both in his films and other people's movies, where a situation that's already a little bit uncomfortable for the audience is just pushed way further than you would ever expect it to be. I haven't rewatched it recently, so. It, it comes with light caveats that maybe it's appalling in ways that I haven't remembered, but I would also tacitly recommend uh, storytelling Whoa. to go alongside. Maybe yeah, you could double bill those two. Dan, there. Um, yes, I mean, right. So, one hundred percent content warning for storytelling. 
Um, oh yeah, no, like it's it's super dark. Yeah. Like it's very difficult filmmaking. Yeah. Like it is not something to just casually wander into. There are not enough trigger warnings for that movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was exploitative. It has that going for mm-hmm. it. It's not like trigger warnings you get when you have you know when you're watching some old Italian thrillers. But it but I would say it goes it goes harder in some ways than a lot of those. Like yeah, it's, definitely. It's very very affronting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but I'd say that happiness is the same. Like maybe oh, the trigger oh. warnings are slightly different, but it's yeah. just as just as hard going. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They, they both deal with content that is extremely controversial, you know, rightly so. Yeah. Very, very difficult to explore. Um, Todd Salons has no fear whatsoever when he's tackling those topics. Um, yeah. Storytelling, I'd probably put more in line with... Well, I, I recommended Bamboozled recently, so... Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 there you go. Um, There's, the, I had reason to reference storytelling recently. I was talking to a director about some feedback we'd had from a production arm about the content of some of the stuff that I was working on mm. for the for the project. Uh, and I said, well, let's just shoot it anyway. And if they don't like it and edit, we'll just put a big blue censorship box over it like Salons did with that scene in storytelling. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there was, a, there was a scene that needed to be cut by the MPAA for the film to get released in the States. Uh, and he responded by releasing it uncut, but with a ludicrous censorship box floating around the screen, yes. hiding what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the, these... Uh, challenging films are very important and and definitely worth watching um but yeah just be prepared for some real nasty stuff in happiness and and in storytelling and you know what precious arrowhead if you love us if you really really love us then uh please double bill two of our recommendations from this week please sit down (laughs) and watch guest house parody so first then happiness second and just enjoy the rest of your week do you not do you think that that's the order (laughs) You think that's how you do it? You do guess us first and then happiness? Yeah, if you want to really send people away as miserable as possible, I think that it probably is the correct order. But um, would you? So I was saying, if you want to do it as, as miserable as possible, you do guess us Paradiso up until Vincent Cassell uh, checks into the hotel. Yeah. Then you do happiness. Yeah. And then you finish. <laughs> and then you watch the end of Guest House Paradiso. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely perfect, yeah. Or maybe you do... The first half of Guess That's Paradiso, then you do Happiness up until Dylan Baker sits down to have a conversation with his son. Yes. Then you do the end of Guess That's Paradiso. Perfect. And then you just cold switch back to that chat. Look, if there's anyone out there that wants to do a fan edit that combines these two films, then, uh, you know, we will absolutely support that and we'll pay all your legal fees. Um, <laughs> allegedly. Within reason. <laughs> Within yeah. reason, yeah. And our reason is one pound fifty. So, um, good. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that covers everything recommendations wise. Let's uh, move on to extra features, extra features. Extra features. (laughs) No extra features. But we do have some stuff to to talk about. So let's just, this is like, you know, when the extra features were a trailer or whatever. Um, Because Dan is away again next time. We're breaking the structure a little bit. So... Dan is going to be away for the next two episodes. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is you're working on a very all-consuming project right now, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely brutal. Every every week, I think, okay, we're over the hump. It's going to get quiet now for a little bit, and it, it, it's a it's a TV series, so it's 
it's a very very long shoot we've just just passed the halfway point and um, it doesn't really show any signs of abating uh, as far as demands on my time go which is you know fantastic i'm very lucky to be working in the current circumstances of our industry but um but it is making it very hard to to find time to really watch anything let alone do the uh, the level of deep dives that i like to do for this podcast exactly so you know it gives dan a bit of extra time for that but also the timing lines up really nicely and it means that when Dan returns, he'll be back for the end of year special because we didn't want to sacrifice that because we've got this new structure. So combination of those two things means that Shay, the glorious, brilliant Shay, will be back next time for her choice, which is Psycho 3. Can't wait to talk about that. And then after that, it will be my choice which is Carlito's Way. So please pick up those discs if you can. Psycho 3 is part of another beautiful, beautiful box set. Really, really special box set. So the Psycho Collection and Carlito's Way uh, are what we're going to cover on upcoming episodes with Shay. And then Dan will be back, as I said, for that super special end of year event. That's it for this week. Apart from social media nonsense... Dan, what is your nonsense? I am at 13fingerfx on pretty much everything. You can get me on Blue Sky, Instagram, Letterboxd. I mean, I'm technically on things like TikTok. I've never posted. <laughs> uh, I just use it to occasionally look up clips of comedians that I want to share. They're quite easy to find there. Lots of people bootlegging other people's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being back in the badlands of, of video trading. Yeah, and um, oh, talking of which, you did a you did a nice feature on tape swapping on your other podcast recently, which I really enjoyed. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, that was nice and nice and nostalgic. I remember the old uh, the old back of the magazine tape swaps. Not doing it in person, but like having a list of tapes with people that you could trade oh thanks so much dan thanks for listening yeah thank you for that dan and i am at sam ashurst 23 on instagram and at sam ashurst uh, on letterboxd and hopefully i would have found the courage to delete the other uh platforms by this point um because i hate them i hate them so much um, would you like a blue sky invite sam i would love one yes please yeah I'll send you one over. Fantastic. All right, I'll be on Blue Sky next time. But until next time, unless there's any final thoughts from Dan? No, that's it. I'm just just sending you a message now. Hey! (laughs) For the Blue Sky. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye.